Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Split Opinion with Flora Gill and Amber Rudd. Flora, I think you'll find it's Amber Rudd first and shouldn't you tell people who we are? Okay, uh, with journalist Flora Gill and failed politician Amber Rudd. (laughs) Or more like the right honourable Amber Rudd and her nobody daughter. Okay, wow, taking that to therapy. Each week we'll be discussing topics that split opinion and we'll be trying to convince each other to change their mind. That's right, because here at Split Opinion we think changing your mind should be celebrated. Too often today, people refuse to listen to the other side and have become very dogmatic in their positions. That's something I learned a lot about in the past few years in politics. So we'll be looking at items that have changed our mindset in the last week before picking a subject to delve into. Sometimes they'll be serious, like drug legalisation and prostitution. Other times they'll be less so, like telly and thongs. But we won't be doing it alone. We'll be joined by a guest, an expert, who can help each of us win our particular case. So without further ado, let's get started. So, second episode of Split Opinion. Thanks for joining us again. We have not been cancelled yet, and I'm glad you've come back for more. So, after your victory last week, Flora, I wanted to do something in my comfort zone, which is in politics, but a reasonably light-hearted look at it. How to fail. No, thank you very much for that vote of confidence. (laughs) We're going to be getting Rory Stewart, who's going to give us his view on a really important subject. Is party politics old-fashioned and outdated? different views it'll be such an interesting discussion i'm really interested in that i i really i'm such a fan of rory stewart i was trying to get you to back him i know you were you were and i didn't at the time but now i'm thinking he would be great he, he would be great so it'll be interesting to hear what he thinks and if he backs your side yes we will see but before we get on to that uh, main topic uh, to warm us up flora and i are each going to share something that's well, made us change our mindset recently. And mine, if I may just leap in here, Flora, mm. is that I saw this morning that somebody was saying that an average spend on social media is now four hours. As a result of lockdown, people are spending more time on social media. It used to be three hours, which I think is an epic amount of time as well. But four hours, I found that so much. It's like perhaps a third of your waking day. Four hours on social media? Yeah. Wow, that is actually quite a lot. But then again... I think you're being quite judgmental there. People are in lockdown. There's not a lot to do. What do you mean? There's so many other things to do. Um, Even at the worst of lockdown, you were allowed a walk. You know, there are books, there are conversations, there's cooking. You could hardly buy flour at one point. People were baking so much. I don't understand how they're spending four hours on social media. You sound like your mother, like, you know... Put down that controller and go read a book, love granny, but... (laughs) That was a very reasonable position to take. And uh, yes, you should read more books. We all should. I I think also you forget that uh, WhatsApp is a social media site, so that counts. People are lonely, they're messaging their friends. You mean that counts if I'm just sending a message to someone or doing some research through Twitter or something? I mean, yeah, research on Twitter. I don't know what you're researching. No, because sometimes if you go onto Twitter and you press a link, you have to be on Twitter to look at it. You're remembering last week when I told you there were lots of nude photos on Twitter, uncensored. 
That's why. It's, it's, it's very confusing, but I just find it surprising. Okay. There's so many. Okay, let's let's settle this then. Hand me your phone. Let's let's see. Well, I don't know. Let, I don't let's know see your my... Okay, here you go. There oh it is. Oh my God, look at all those naked photos. No, that... <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't convince her that much last week. So okay. Um, so how much time do you think you, fa- you spend on social media? Right, well, that just means looking on Twitter for a few minutes a day and okay. so an hour? Okay, you are, today, your total social networking is two hours and 40 minutes. Wow, what a waste of time. Bearing in mind the day is not over yet. No. And your Twitter usage is one hour and 50 minutes. That is an embarrassing amount of time. Uh, Maybe I was looking at recipes Mm, and uh, other things through it. A long time searching your own name. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I would... I'm going to make it my task to reduce that because I do think it's ridiculous. Do you have it though now? Your phone will let you know. It will say your your usage is up 20% this week. I'm going to find that and switch it on. I oh, don't want to be that person. I do not want that. That is the worst. It feels like your phone is judging you. Being like, get a life. Get some friends. Exactly. Get a life. Do other things than be on social media. I imagine social media usage will go down now that we can all go see each other. Yes, I certainly hope so. I mean, you know, there's nothing like face-to-face interaction it makes such a big difference so on the issue of uh changing your mind flora i saw you do an interesting tweet on ocd and why it shouldn't be used as a kind of haphazard insult and you seem to got an interesting response yeah i am it's not that it's used as an insult i think people use the term ocd very freely to say oh i like to have all my dvds in alphabetical order or you know i like to make my spice rack all lined up and they say oh I'm so ECD OCD Um, but actually it's a really serious condition and I think people trivialize and kind of belittle it a little bit by using it like that and um, I, I, I particularly feel quite strongly about it because I have a really close friend who has OC, has a form of OCD and I've seen the effect it can have and how it it is a, a, a really serious issue um, and and does, does that friend agree with you? Did they say, yeah. are you right, Flora, this is really uh, upsetting? Yeah, completely. They hate it when they hear people say it. Yeah. In the same way, I think it, it was, it's often used as a comedic thing. And in the same way, I think Tourette's has been in the fast, past. People use it as kind of a punchline or it's a joke or people make fun of it. Whereas actually, it's a serious issue and it shouldn't be your punchline. And I think we should adapt to society and realize these things that people perhaps used to say used to think is okay in the same way people used to say that's so gay and no one would now say it it's it's interesting isn't it It, there are so many ways to be casually offensive to some people and actually perhaps that's one of the very good things about twitter is that people can be pulled up on doing that sort of thing so they can not be intentionally hurtful god knows there's enough opportunity for people on twitter to be intentionally hurtful perhaps stopping this sort of casual approach to calling people ocd might be a way of stopping them being so hurtful Another example I saw of this more recently, or quite recently, was did you see the the front cover of Vogue Portugal? I did. I saw it because you tweeted it and I took a look. Yeah. Uh, For anyone that didn't see it, it was a photo shoot for their madness issue. So stupid is what they called it. And uh, the picture was kind of supposed to be in a in a psych ward was it yes it looked like a kind of uh, old-fashioned asylum mm. it was an opportunity to to have pictures of miserable looking women basically exactly a, a miserable looking woman being bathed by two kind of nurse figures and it was just an, another example of someone using this really serious landscape you know mental health is not as i said it's not a set design it's not a prop it's not a costume i don't think people should be dressing up as people that have escaped from asylums for halloween it's something that it, it it's something that we need to be talking about seriously and I guess in a way it's good that the magazine was having maybe a feature on mental health to properly talk about it but it just it shouldn't be used as the front cover in a fashion way and luckily the magazine now has come back and apologized and said that they will not be uh, circulating that, that oh edition. I didn't see they'd done that that's really good no I completely agree with you you were so right to call it out yeah, I got a lot of people calling me a snowflake uh, yeah. and other things, which I I don't mind, actually. It's well, fine. you are a millennium, so there we go. Millennium. Isn't that what it's called? Oh, mummy. <laughs> okay, I got it wrong. A millennial. Millennial, you. there you go. <laughs> so my topic this week is uh, a bit of a cheat 
it's not something I've changed my mindset on, but it's something I want to know if you've changed your mind on, because I know that you have quite a strong opinion on tattoos, Ugh. but your son returned home this week with two brand new ones. So yeah. have you been won over? I have not. Uh, I don't think it's an unusual posi- position to take for parents. You know, the fact is you have a child and you love that child and you think, despite many evidence to the contrary, that that person is pretty perfect. Yes, Flora, even you, the way I made you. And the idea of that child then setting out to scribble on their bodies, scribble in a way that we know is painful because you know it uses needles, etc., etc., and you know it's permanent. I just hate it. I just can't get my head around why people do it and and liking it at all. And you're right, Ali comes back and has a new tattoo and I'm just wincing at the sign of it. I, I would add that, uh, as mum said, despite evidence to the contrary about them being perfect, she looked at me pretty menacingly (laughs) I just want to make sure that you don't think about doing that either Flora well you know I've always been uh, a bit of a scaredy cat it's one of the most redeeming qualities about you but I will say that I have sat in in a tattoo chair handed over my design and then changed my mind yes the changed your mind I'm not surprised about but they wouldn't give me a refund oh so stupid and outrageous no 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 i'm very clever i uh i oh i don't know if i want to tell you this i found a new way to get my money to get to make the most of my money used so you got them to do something else so did they did they just do it in um removable ink they i don't think they do that they don't offer removable tattoos at (laughs) tattoo services so what did you get done then i got Uh, i I, (laughs) got no what no, well, stop. Looking. You haven't actually got a tattoo, then. No, I don't actually have a tattoo. That would be such a better reveal. I have a piercing. A piercing. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at your face all over. I know you've got your ears pierced because I took you to get them done when you were about nine years old, ten years old, thirteen. Okay, thirteen. I get muddled. But um, a piercing. Tell me. Mum's Mum's looking very far down my body, and I feel like I need to quickly <laughs> jump on this and say I got a nipple piercing. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like mum might not be talking now for the rest of the episode. I would add that I was 19 uh, on my gap year, gap year, sorry, on my gap year in a bar in Thailand and they wouldn't give me a refund and there was, there was a bucket of alcohol involved and the next thing I knew, knew I was, uh, I was getting a nipple piercing. The, the actual worst part of that story, it hasn't got to the worst part, is that there was a man filming it the entire oh. time and he kept saying to me, red light means off when I kept on asking him to put the camera down. And I don't think... Red, red light means I, off. I don't think... It's so gullible. Off. Yeah. But, I mean, was it, it must have been incredibly painful. And do you still have it? Uh, it was It was not that painful. The the, bu- the bucket of, of juice is, is, is the reason for that. Um, I used to work at a... I worked at a bar for a little bit in, in uh, Thailand where we only got paid if we finished a bucket of alcohol, at Ugh. least, which is just such a not acceptable position to find yourself in, and I don't recommend it to anyone, but we thought it was an absolute bargain. Um, but uh, I, I don't have it still still in. I, it came out later that year um, because I got a uh, infection on my leg and I was scared that it would travel to my nipple and that I would have to have uh, everything removed. Okay, that's, that's, that's enough. I mean, basically, there are so many reasons not to have tattoos or piercings. Infections is definitely one of them. And the fact is that I, I, you know, vast majority of people, particularly on tattoos, regret it. Interestingly, I look because I looked into this because I was curious. Seventy-eight percent of people regret it who have one tattoo, but it goes down to about one percent when you've had over four. So it's the people that are just getting one and aren't really into tattoos and have perhaps thought about it uh, for a shorter amount of time. Also, interestingly, more people regret it when it's smaller. So sixty-three percent regret it when it's when it's smaller than a palm, whereas only two percent regret uh, a full sleeve. So maybe the answer is just to go full hog full body tattoo and then you won't regret it well the great thing is flora since you are as we know a scaredy cat you're not actually going to do any of that so that's good news i got my nipple pierced who knows what's next only because you were so drunk now let's put away tattoos because we've got a serious subject to look at (laughs) 
So now we're going to move on to our main topic. The question is whether party politics is old-fashioned and out of date. And we're going to be joined shortly by my guest, Rory Stewart. So, Flora, you, I know, have a view about independence rather than party politicians. Yeah, I do. Um, I think it's fair to say that this is slightly more your area of expertise than mine. That's generous of you. So just to make sure, it's very few topics, but this one you can have, just to make sure, can you just, just for our listeners, not for me necessarily, for, our, for them, just explain the difference between party politics and independence. Okay, so it is my view and the facts in which we find ourselves now that for governments to form they have to form under a political party so you will know about Labour and Conservative and even I hope the Lib Dems so anybody who wants to become a member of parliament has to stand under one of those three or before I get into trouble one of the other smaller parties thinking particularly of the SNP for seats in Scotland. They're not that much smaller than Lib Dems they're not smaller than Lib Dems. No, they're much larger than the Lib Dems. Well, OK, there's a little more information there than I thought you knew. But <laughs> my main point is, is that governments are formed by one political party, possibly two. So 2010 to 15, the Conservatives didn't get sufficient majority, so they formed an alliance, a coalition with the Lib Dems. But overall, anybody choosing to be an MP has to decide which party they support. Independence as members of parliament are almost unheard of. They happen very occasionally when a member of parliament loses the whip. Mm. I might have been an independent for a very brief amount of time. <laughs> but generally, you can't get elected as an independent. You have to be elected as a party. And I understand the failing there because then you have to stick to all the party beliefs. And I think that's where people like yourself think, gosh, we don't believe everything that a manifesto says. Why can't we be independent? So, yeah, my issue with the two-party system is I do think it's become outdated. I do agree with that statement. I do think it's become ineffective. Um, For me personally, a lot of the times when I've had to vote, it's been between two parties that are likely to get in for that seat. So Labour and Conservative. It used to be the case that everyone complained that the two parties were actually so central, they were pretty similar. But now they seem so far apart, especially when it was under Corbyn and Boris. We had the far left and the far right. And for someone that sees themselves as pretty centre left, there was they didn't feel like there was anyone I could vote for personally. And I think a lot of my generation ends up not voting for a candidate they want, but voting to keep someone else out, voting for the least bad person. And I think I think there's an assumption that my generation and the generation below don't care a lot about politics particularly because there's quite low turnout at a lot of the general elections. But actually, that's not true. When we look at what's going on now in political climate, what's been going on for the last few years, my generation, we care about issues, not allegiances. We care about the policies, not the politicians. So when you look at people protesting and campaigning, they they care a lot and there doesn't feel like there is an option to vote to show that. It's, it's, it is interesting that. And young people have become much more politically active over the past few years than they were previously. And actually, they've also turned out to vote in much higher numbers. The turning point was the Brexit referendum, when young people t- took generally a different view to older people. The most extraordinary thing about, I thought, about that referendum, out of many extraordinary things, was the fact that young people were almost entirely against leaving the European Union. And the older you get, got, the more likely you were to want to leave the European Union. But after that, young people became much more active. And you're right, they turn out in their droves for single issues and are less interested in party politics. But I think we have to accept the world in which we find ourselves, which is that the party politics is what drives actual government. It's not what drives individual views. In fact, individual views have to be compromised in order to fit within party politics. But we have a democracy whereby somebody has to form a government under a manifesto, which has been set out in a general election, and the individual candidates have to sign up for that. So imperfect as it is, I think it is a system that provides majorities, as we've just had with Boris Johnson, and therefore a certain amount of stability in government. But you're saying stability, but look at the last five years. I mean, that's, that's not a lot of stability. 
I mean, we've had this system and we've had a nightmare. We've had so many elections. It's true, it's true. It hasn't really been covered in glory the past few years in terms of elections, in terms of changing prime ministers. You know, I've I've served in three prime, under three prime ministers and I've only been in parliament for just under 10 years. So instability is certainly baked into the system now. So it is a good reason to look at other ways of doing things. But I just think that, you, you know, look, take a cold, hard look at what happened if people stood as independents. They would stand on their own views and they would say in a constituency, this is what I believe in. I'm not party political because of ABC. But actually, once you've elected them, they've got in. There's no way they can deliver that. They're not part of a group that can deliver that. Their promises would be completely empty. And therefore, I think cynicism for politicians would just increase. I don't know about that. I think there's a lot of that anyway. Now you're right. The good thing about politics is you can see their manifesto and you know what you're going to get if they get a majority and if they get in. But actually, there's so many bits of every manifesto that people don't agree with. Whereas at least if I could vote for someone who was an independent saying they stood really strongly on this issue, I could put my weight behind an issue and and get that talked about more in Parliament. If someone said, I have a number of different ideals, but I'm mostly liberal, but what I'm really interested in is the environment and I'm going to fight for that, then you could... But you see, the fight for that happens when the party puts together the manifesto. So when the Conservative Party is putting together a manifesto, there will be people who are MPs or campaigners within the Conservative Party who will see it as an opportunity to really set out an ambitious environmental agenda, and that will be part of how they win. Where I do agree with you is, you know, it's always concerning where a party doesn't stick to its manifesto. Mm. But having sat around with other ministers and prime ministers is we always believe we should deliver on the manifesto and do our best and have an obligation to do so. And actually, you can only be sure, and even then you can't be really sure, but you can be more sure than not of getting legislation through Parliament if it's in the manifesto. If you're doing something against the manifesto, it's much more legitimate for the House of Lords to stop you, for instance, getting the legislation through. I I find it strange that you're so for the party machine when watching your experience, the party effectively moved further and further away from you to the point where I was watching you having to being encouraged to vote with the government on issues that you did not agree with or you wouldn't necessarily stood for, but you have to often obey the party whip. And then actually, it was the thing that ended up forcing you and a number of MPs out was that the party was no longer one that represented what you stood for. That's true. I would say that that was an exceptional circumstance where something which was the overarching policy of the Conservative government was something that I couldn't support, namely trying to potentially leave the European Union with no deal. And a number of other colleagues felt the same way. Normally, if there are small things in a manifesto that you don't agree with, you basically have to suck it up. And if you are a Secretary of State or a Minister, you have to support it, even though you don't agree with it. But it's different when it's the main issue of the day. And that's why I feel the Conservative Party did become a difficult place for those of us who took a softer, shall we say, view to Brexit, and why now it is very much a vote-leave government, and people who had a more moderate view aren't really welcome. But isn't it an issue that that people often say of the idea of having independent independent candidates that you would end up having so many coalitions effectively? That's the issue. But actually, all these parties are already coalitions. You already have, you know, you had the ERG and whatever your group was called. I feel like you had less press. What what was it? (laughs) I don't know. Please, let's not tiptoe on a painful era now. Okay, okay. And then, you know, you have momentum within Labour. There's already these coalitions fighting. That's true. That that is right. The whole whole rationale was that you've got strong, stable governments, and we haven't really delivered that over the past few years. I do agree with that. And that parties are coalitions in themselves, trying to accommodate different types within them. But sometimes that can be a difficult um, position to be in. I think it also creates an environment by having these two parties or, or, or different parties rather than independents that people don't seek to compromise, they don't seek to agree. Instead, it just becomes a matter of not even... I, I feel like half the time I'm watching Question Time, it's not about doing something good yourself or making good points. It's just about bringing down the other team. It's become like f- supporting a football match, you know? Even if your side does something horrible... Who was it that tweeted that I, I, saw, I saw a while ago? You know, you wait to find out whether they're on your team first before you decide to, to 
damn yes. it. And there are examples of terrible gaffes there when somebody gets it wrong and attacks it when actually it is their team. So I agree with you on that too, is that uh, oppositional nature of our politics at the moment can be pretty unattractive. And really, the sort of the epitome of that is question time, Prime Minister's questions, when everybody just shouts at the other team. And I really have never enjoyed that approach. I actually think that probably the best government we've had in the past 10 years was the coalition government, 2010 to 15, when everybody, the Lib Dems and Conservatives, had to accommodate each other. The trouble is it wasn't so successful for the Lib Dems because their accommodation, accepting tuition fees, was actually the reason, really, the main reason for their demise subsequently. Mm. Basically meant Boris could take all the credit for all the good Lib Dem stuff. Oh, not Boris. It was David Cameron David Cameron. Please don't erase him from history. Oh, so sorry, Dave. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm not entirely convinced, but I know you've got a secret weapon. I have got a secret weapon. I've got a really good example of a man who was a fantastic Conservative MP and Secretary of State who left the party to stand for a while as an independent. And I think he could help us make our decisions. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello Rory. Hi guys, well done. <laughs> So, so sweet exciting. of you to do this with us. Thank you so much. And Amber, much. you're looking incredible. It's obviously coronavirus suits you. Thank you very much. We've blurred the camera. <laughs> She's so rude. Um, Rory, so we don't want to take too much of your time. Shall we just crack on? Let's crack on. So here is my special guest, Rory Stewart, who has very kindly agreed to join us to help Flora and I sort out our difference of opinion. Can I start, Rory, by thanking you very much, obviously, for joining us today and asking whether you're still interested in politics, participating in politics. Last we saw you were standing as an independent for London mayor. So I'm pretty traumatised about politics. I really find the whole thing very, very painful and unpleasant. And I don't know, I mean, Amber, I think you you probably were better at taking it with good humour than I am. I get extremely unhappy. I find almost everything about politics enraging. So although I really was passionate about the opportunity of being able to work in London, and I thought that would have been an amazing privilege and something where I think I hopefully might have been able to do something good, I'm not really missing politics at all. Politics with a big P is just, I just don't like. But but can I just ask, um, you know, I mean, I, you know, I also got bumped out of the Conservative Party at the end there. Um, Do you think it was a unique position when party politics failed people who are more centrist like you and I because up until that point I'd been a secretary of state for a number of years you had been uh, for for a short amount of time but still significantly Um, do you think this was a unique time that failed people like us in party politics or um, we were always going to be let down by party politics I think it was a very very interesting and unusual moment I think a, a moment where you lose 
not just you and me, but somebody like Ken Clark, who's occupied almost every grand position in government conceivable and ran to be leader of the Conservative Party three times and was father of the House. I mean, it's, it's pretty weird. And losing, you know, Winston Churchill's grandson and whatnot. I mean, that, that's a pretty amazing shift in a party. So those cultural changes, I think, don't come very often. And of course, it came very, very unusually in our case, which was that instead of the party simply splitting, we were effectively purged or thrown out, which again, it's a pretty unusual thing. And really interesting because it went from a world in which under David Cameron, many people on the right of the party would have felt that we had all the unfair advantages and that they were excluded and that it was a sort of cozy group of centrists who were running the Conservative Party to a world where that's been kind of lopped off. So I think it is unusual. I can't think of any time in the last hundred years where that's happened quite as brutally or quite as dramatically. But do you think it was a unique moment that was special and different, or do you think it marked a change and that it is going to have an impact on the way we view political parties? I hope it's going to change the way we view political parties, but it's surprising how little it does. I mean, there's, there's, so, there's so many things that are so odd about the way these parties behave. Part of it is just that we're just not honest with the public. I mean, one of the ideas is that we have these things called votes. And as soon as you turn up in the House of Commons, it turns out it's not really a vote at all. At 99% of Conservative and Labour MPs are just whipped into a lobby and they don't even know what they're voting about. Right? They pretend they know what they're voting about because you, it's a bit embarrassing to admit to your constituents that you're not very clear what you're voting about. But it is very odd. And that's just one of sort of 200 kind of weird lies. To keep, keep themselves sane, MPs tell themselves that being a select committee chair is an extraordinary thing. I was a select committee chair. I didn't think it was half what it seems to be cracked up to be with the public. Ministers aren't really what they pretend to be with the public. I mean, the whole thing is a bit odd. Do you think, though, that one of the consequences is that we could have independent standing more successfully? I mean, I was, you know, you and I left as MPs. Some of our colleagues tried to stand as independent MPs. And however well known they were, they got they got smashed by the machine. Yeah, so it's very interesting. I mean, I obviously tried to, my, my view was that a different voting system can make a difference. So I was standing ultimately to be an independent in London. And the great thing in London is that if you don't get 50% in the first round, everybody else is knocked out except the last two. And that really helps somebody who's a sort of independent in the centre. So if I'd managed to pop ahead of the Conservative candidate and got into the last two, then I might have had a shot of being able to win that thing. In a first-past-the-post system, right, normal constituency thing, you're in real trouble. But with a London system, you can do roughly what Macron did in France, which is to come second in the first round and then win in the second round. And Macron, of course, only got about 26%. Now, I realized, though, there were a number of problems. I mean, one of the biggest problems of running as an independent is that your name recognition needs to be phenomenal. By the end of the leadership campaign, I was reasonably well-known, and we do polls where maybe 50 60% of people in London sort of had heard of me. But brutally, if you're on a ballot paper as an independent, there will be six other independents on that ballot paper. And unless everybody there knows your name, they're not going to vote for you. Whereas Conservative Labour, they don't need to know who the person is. I realised even after spending a lot of time and raising quite a lot of money, and we ended up with, I think, nearly, well, I think nearly 30,000 people signed up to volunteer and deliver, but still, wow, as you can imagine, a huge number of people, a terrifyingly huge number of people still didn't know who I was. And I couldn't see how I was going to close that unless we'd had really big TV debates, which were unlikely to happen. And even if we had, you know, how many people would have watched them? Even with your sleepovers, your Rory sleepovers, did they get cut short by by all this? Yeah, that, that was a bit unfortunate. I was just getting into my sleepovers. They were getting quite sleepovers notorious. Sleepovers are literally the least coronavirus-friendly thing <laughs> that you could possibly do. But everything about my campaign was, was a coronavirus nightmare because the whole point was that with these 30,000 volunteers out, I was sleeping in people's houses. It was all very tactile. I was supposed to be beating the traditional parties by being much more uh, touchy-feely. And touchy-feely is not a good COVID look. <laughs> and I, I always, I, I remember you right at the, right before this, you were kind of the first 
big person to really be saying lockdown needs to be taken seriously. It needs to happen now that you're being far too slow. Is it too serious for you to now think, oh, I told you so? How much do you want to say I told you so? I I think... um... Goodness. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, it's, it's been an amazing thing that, I mean, I basically made my call, was quite strong on that, and then I shut up for about two months because I think the temptation to say I told you so was just too strong. So I thought it was better to do no interviews. I then did one interview on the Today programme and was promptly attacked, the Telegraph, which said, Rory Stewart is touring the TV studios claiming that he told you so. So I then shut up again for another four weeks. So if you could... um. If you could rewrite the political, the way politics works now in terms of the party politics, would you keep the system or would you change it? Very difficult because I think the system is very broken, very bad, very substandard, but it's difficult to think of a really strong alternative and you'd have to be very confident you weren't going to make things even worse. There is something very precious about our liberal parliamentary democracy which somehow, although it doesn't really make sense, and it's on a day-to-day basis really disappointing and debilitating, has probably stood us quite well for a long time. I wonder though whether we aren't beginning to break that model. I mean, I think the, my fear is that there were moments when the Dominic Cummings Boris machine was in full roar, sort of September, October, November, where I really felt, okay, they've pushed this to the limit. They've pushed the limit, what you can do with an unwritten constitution when you start taking on the Supreme Court and purging members of parliament. and It's beginning to get silly. And it's also interesting how we become sort of inured to stuff, which in previous generations would have profoundly shocked people. I mean, it seems that, you know, Dominic Cummings decided to rewrite a blog post oh, to pretend God. that he'd predicted coronavirus when he hadn't and didn't just rewrite it. He then publicized it and sort of put it out saying, see, I told you so. Now, that is such a strange way of behaving. And I think the fact that people are not more shocked by that. I mean, it, it's just so something's happened. I don't know what the cabinet now feels like. I mean, that's an interesting question. Did you feel that it felt different to Theresa May's cabinet or David Cameron's cabinet in terms of the way that you could express views and the way that decisions were reached? Yes. I mean, I continued to express my views, as he would expect. Um, but um, I, cabinet... I remember you expressing your views, even in my brief time in cabinet, you expressed your views. <laughs> I did, I did. It's my particular thing, expressing my views. Um, but I, the cabinet um, had become much more... Um, devoted to the leader and accepting any terms, like coming back to the whole thing about prorogation, was supposed to be a secret. And, right. you know, the, nobody was consulted. Again, we were told that cabinet was consulted, weren't you? We're like, we were, were we? And everyone went out and said, yeah, we were consulted. I'm like, I wasn't. <laughs> but you can see that with all the tweets now that all come out from every MP and they're exactly the same. Yeah. They've all been directed in exactly what to tweet and when to say it. Yeah, it's very, very odd, this. It's very odd. And, and I don't know why this doesn't result in people being more interested. But of course, being more interested in the ground. But of course, the, my discovery, I suppose, is both in the leadership campaign where, you know, I remember Amber trying to encourage you to run and your instinct that it couldn't actually be done. I mean, you're, I think you were absolutely right. I mean, you're, I remember you essentially saying that if Brexit has not yet happened, if Theresa May hasn't managed to get a Brexit deal through, a sort of centrist, moderate candidate is not going to be able to do this. And of course, I was betting very hard that it could be done, that people yeah. could be shifted around. And I totally underestimated just how, how much, you know, the, the cliche that when you know, Blair and Cameron were in, which was that all the votes from the centre ground of British politics, you know, that it was this sort of bell curve, that it had collapsed like a souffle and become this kind of U-shape where all the votes were on the side and there was nothing left in the centre. I still don't quite understand how that happened so quickly, particularly when the British are supposed to have a reputation for kind of being moderate and sensible and not liking extremes. I completely agree. I mean, that um, happened so quickly and it feels felt completely differently different sort of overnight. Um, Rory, when, when you and I were, um, well, of course, you're much younger than me, but still about the time when you and I were at school together, and not together at the same time, um, we were taught that proportional representation was a mistake because it led to unstable governments, and we all sort of laughed at Italy. Um, but now it feels like we've got the unstable series of governments. Should we be looking at a different form of 
electioneering elections like potentially proportional representation, which I feel would give people like Flora the feeling their vote counted, because if you didn't have independence, you'd still have small parties. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I think that that would do a lot of good. And I think a lot of these European systems, and particularly the European countries, they're not all doing a form of pure proportional representation, but a lot of the European countries that have been doing very well, Germany, Scandinavian countries, are not running first-past-the-post systems. And the reason, of course, a lot of us loved first-past-the-post systems was the relationship to our constituencies, Yeah, uh, uh, which is unusual. And I remember meeting a Spanish MP who said that he barely campaigned in his constituency because he was on a proportional representation list. So it was sort of completely virtual, that relationship. But if the system is as broken as I'm beginning to feel it is, then I think the argument for a different voting system is stronger. I also, to go very radical, I am beginning to come around to the view that we probably want a separation between the parliament and the ministers. Uh, and you may want to go for a more of a US system where you can bring in your general matters as your defense secretary, as opposed to having to fish around rather desperately within a pretty small number of loyal MPs in order to fill these quite complicated jobs. Ever diminishing group of MPs because the Prime Minister will only fish amongst vote leave committed people. Yeah. It's even yeah. less. So yeah. sorry, just to clarify, that's the idea that you have ministers separately to yeah. your MPs. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So sorry, I was, I was going off on one. But I, I guess the yeah, the, the problem in is is as Amber was saying, that if you are forced to choose just from Brexit-supporting MPs. You're trying to fill, I don't know, 100 ministerial positions from just over 100 people. Yeah. Mm. So not surprisingly, the person who is doing some incredibly technical brief, and remember government is spending, you know, 700 billion pounds a year and it's doing all this very complicated stuff, is very, very unlikely to have a profound understanding or instinct for that, which is why I've often felt as a minister that um, it was very difficult to find out from my predecessors what they thought they were trying to do in these jobs. I mean, I remember desperately doing handovers or getting six or seven previous ministers in that portfolio around a table and trying to say, what was your dream for this department? And getting almost nothing back from them. Yeah, I think that might explain why some of the cabinets seem so useless. Is that mean? <laughs> um, Yes, it is a bit mean, but um, I couldn't disagree with you. Um, um, so, Rory, coming back, can I just bring us back before we finish to, to Flora's question? You know, you've described a very sort of depressing view, and I, I share some of your views, about party politics and how government works at the moment. What chance for independence to find a way of participating? I mean, certainly, if I look at the mayors of, for instance, um, well, Andy Burnham and Andy Street, both of them kind of operate as independents, even though they've got yeah. the machine behind them. Do you think that is the only place we can successfully try and... I think you can do it as a mayor. I think you can do it as a mayor. And I think mayors being independents has a certain kind of logic because there's nothing very ideological. You know, Karl Marx doesn't have much to say about fixing the signaling on the Piccadilly line. I mean, a lot of it is quite operational, chief executive stuff. The problem about running as independent is that it is phenomenally expensive so, you know, the, uh, it's difficult because the parties disguise their funding and their donors and they funnel it into central party coffers. And it's quite difficult to disinter how much they spend on their mayoral candidates and differentiate that from what they do on others. Because outside the reported period, they don't need to report. But once my sense from people in the Labour campaign is that Sadiq had spent something in the region of four and a half million pounds running wow. the time before. Mm -hmm. So... For me as an independent, to raise that kind of money, it's phenomenally difficult. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about raising 50 to 100,000 pounds every day, day in, day out, as you run up to, the, to that campaign. Would you stand as an independent MP or are you done with that no, I life? Think, I think I'm an independent mayor, mayor made sense to me. Independent MP never made any sense. I think an independent backbencher is a pretty... A depressing thing. An independent mayor at least controls City Hall, has in the case of London, you know, a budget of eight billion pounds a year, which is, you know, bigger than the GDP of about 75 countries. I mean, so you can do something. But I think an independent MP is a very lonely figure. You can't do anything. I mean, I, I was found it difficult enough to do anything as a backbench government MP. But I think as an independent MP, you're just a sort of 
somebody in a white suit sounding pious. So I, I think you've given a really interesting critique about how the executive could be in an ideal world selected from outside MPs. So you get real expertise alongside the prime minister. But, you know, we can speculate, you and I and Flora, about all sorts of different electoral systems and setups. But party in government is going to always be the party in government is going to want to hold on to its power. And it's never going to say, hmm, let's throw this up a bit and do something differently because it'll involve them having less power. That's absolutely right. And I think it's um, and I think it's almost impossible to to make Turkey's vote for Christmas. So MPs are not going to want to relinquish their chance to be ministers. I mean, the reason they most MPs, not most, but a lot of MPs nowadays enter parliament in order to be ministers. And that's a big change from when Ken Clark came in. I mean, he said that when he came in, he was the first generation to be elected into parliament where he felt the majority of the people that came in with him wanted to be ministers and all the older people in parliament thought being a minister was a bit of a drag mm-hmm. and they really liked being backbench MPs would never consider being ministers and there was you know I think he thought the system worked better when sort of 90% of people came in to be backbench MPs and about 10% kind of eager beavers were trying to be ministers yeah a yeah. system where almost everybody wants to be a minister is a pretty unpleasant rat it's race. true. But I suppose if we're stuck with the system we've got, uh, what you need is good quality of MPs so that you can have people whose experience is really useful and can be great ministers. So we need to, government needs to encourage more good quality MPs. Although, as we know, it's a bit of a rat race and it's a bit of a roller coaster and a lot of it's left to chance. Yeah, and I think there was quite a brave attempt by David Cameron to try to bring in people who hadn't been very much involved in politics before. And that was true of quite a lot of the women who came in in 2010, because in order to find talented women, and I think in 2015 too, in order to find talented women, he'd often went and deliberately headhunted people who hadn't necessarily been central to conservative party politics. It was true of me. I mean, I came in having not been a conservative party member. Um, but um, I think the, I think that's increasingly difficult. I think we're not, that isn't what we're doing. I don't think that they would want to bring in people like you or me into parliament anymore. So we started our episode asking the question, is party politics outdated and old fashioned? It seems we kind of think, yes, it's a bit broken, but there's not an obvious solution, basically. You seem to be telling us it's a necessary evil because there's no other route at the moment. Well, I think we have to work out how cross we are. I'm pretty cross, and I think it's a pretty rubbish system. I notice, though, that very few people really come the whole way with me. Most of my colleagues, even those who, like you and I, ultimately broke with the party and left, uh, think I'm exaggerating and think it's not quite as bad as I think. So unless we get up to a world where people really agree with me that this really is a very substandard rubbish system and that we're really not being served well, it's going to be very difficult to reform. And at the moment, somehow people sort of tolerate it, maybe because their expectations are so low. Now, for the purpose of your podcast, I need to explain that that is a weird clock of mine chiming in the background. (laughs) In case you pick it up on your sound. Um, But thank you. This was really fun. You're amazing. Just to end, um, I just want to say that... um, Mum, since she's left politics, has seemed much happier to me, much more of a a skip in her step, just drinking large glasses of red wine and playing on Tinder, I assume. Well, Um, uh, not that last bit. um, How how have you found it? Are you much happier? What are you doing now? So I think I am much happier, but I I, I mean, I I, um, have been teaching my five-year-old, basically. I've spent uh, probably four, five hours a day with him which I would never, ever have been able to do. Um, I've spent an incredible amount of time gardening, uh, which is a weird thing to be doing uh, for me. And um, I haven't missed it at all. I mean, I get colleagues who call me and say, oh my goodness, Rory, you know, don't you miss the kind of ministerial car? Don't you miss the excitement? Don't you miss the bus? I haven't, richly haven't felt that at all. I feel as though I've just sort of um, returned from some slightly unpleasant war zone. (laughs) For a man who's actually been to one, that is good, a good comment indeed.
So I hope you found that as interesting as I did, uh, Flora. It was pretty depressing to hear <laughs> such a brilliant man, and I do think Rory is a brilliant man, and he mm-hmm. was an exceptional minister and secretary of state, giving up on politics entirely because he thinks it's so broken. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was really, really interesting. I uh, love that we touched on the idea of proportional representation, which I think I, I think is a great idea um, as a way to make sure that. It feels, in a lot of ways, it feels much more democratic. It feels like so many times I've gone to vote, but it's been a safe seat, and I feel like my vote doesn't count. And isn't that kind of a huge yeah. part of our democracy? I do think that proportional representation might be the compromise position between having um, uh, independence and party politics. However, there are all sorts of caveats around it, like the one that Rory said, which is. MPs should be representing their constituencies, should be local, like I was to Hastings and Rye, and be held accountable locally, while with proportional representation, it's typically just a list. Mm. But I think you can have a sort of hybrid system. And I think it's now where I, I say a great big apology to the Lib Dems, who have been campaigning for this for years. Mm. And it turns out they may have a point. And I thought it was interesting, that point as well, because I remember you saying to me, when you were Home Secretary, the other... Uh, similar sector of states from other countries found it extraordinary that you would be dealing with terrorism one day and then the next day doing ribbon cutting as an yeah. MP. Yeah, I wonder one of them, I think it was the French one, who said to me that he loved following me on Twitter because he found my views about uh, geopolitical issues particularly interesting. But did he have to hear about the local fate on Saturday? Yes, so, he did. It's key. It's very important. <laughs> so that sort of c- combination is anathema to the French, for instance. But my question is... Rory Stewart came on as your guest to argue that party politics is not old-fashioned and outdated. And I think he he thought it pretty much was. He thought it was really broken. I, I think you accidentally brought in a secret weapon for me. listening to Split Opinion with Flora Gill and Amber Rudd. It's a Wireless Studios production for Times Radio, produced by Ben Mitchell. Tune in to Times Radio every Sunday at 7 to hear us live, and you can download the podcast to listen on demand. We're available on Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.